0: Welcome to Truth In Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson along with my co-host Josh Comston. We're in the studios at Nebraska Christian Schools and our guest today is Jeff Randell. He's with Hidden From View Ministries and makes his home in Hastings, Nebraska. Welcome to the program today, Jeff. Thank you, Gordon. So Jeff, I'd like you to tell our listeners how they can connect with you and how they can find out more about your ministry. People can go
1: to jeffandhanna.com or hiddenfromview.com and find out about our ministry, that we speak to parents and students regarding dating and relationships. We also talk about biblical sexual issues, and we speak at high schools, conferences, camps, and other retreats, specifically on the area of dating, and we really want to see that subject restored with parents and students.
0: Are most of your seminars or talks, are they in Nebraska, the central Nebraska area? I mean, how, how much travel do you guys do during the year?
1: Yeah, that's correct, Gordon. We actually are quite busy in south central Nebraska, although our ministry also focuses on mentoring. We personally mentor several students and work also after our events to help students find adult mentors within their churches mm-hmm. to help them along in the challenges of life. And that's taken up quite mm-hmm. a bit of our time recently.
0: And you also serve part time in a church at Hastings, is that correct? And and what role do you have there?
1: Yes, I'm an associate pastor at Grace Life Fellowship in Hastings, as pastor of small groups. I oversee the training and leading of our leaders, and also the facilitation of our groups' writing curriculum.
0: Jeff, your message today on trials—you know, something that you wouldn't have known—was was really how how timely. That message was for
1: our school and for some of the students of our school. How, how did you come to that decision to speak on trials, and why is it important for, for us as Christians to hear that message? As I was preparing the message for today, I was feeling convicted to share on prayer, and then just last night changed the message to trials. I was thinking about the word from 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings, and so through Christ we also share abundantly in comfort because trials are universal, a message on trials is always applicable, even to high school students. They're facing issues and trials every day. And so what I taught this morning was that trials are inevitable, they're always going to come, they're innumerable, there will always be many, and they're also necessary. God uses those trials for our good and for His glory.
0: Let's join Jeff with today's message.
1: I will be the first one to tell you that technology is not my greatest skill or interest in life, but perhaps you enjoy it. And was fortunate to be able to upgrade my phone earlier this year, the big upgrade, and went from the old flip phone to the smartphone. Now you can tell, I've been living in in the past for quite a while, so upgraded to the smartphone. And as any smartphone user knows, it's good to integrate your smartphone with your computer, right? And so I plugged my new phone into my computer for the first time and it asked me a very important question. Do I want to install this phone or restore this phone? And I was thinking, install or restore? Well, everyone needs restoration, right? Restoring seems to be a good thing to do and it even had my last name on it. It said Restore Randall iPhone and I thought, That's probably the one that I should choose. So I did. (laughs) Your groans tell the remainder of that story because you know that when I upgraded my phone, my wife also upgraded her phone. And she had already installed her phone on our computer. And so by clicking Restore Randell Phone, I just now created a duplicate of my wife's phone in my phone. And so throughout the day, as I began to use my phone, I realized that there are a lot of people on my phone who now I don't even know. And a lot of messages that I had never typed. And so you know that I completely erased my phone and installed my wife's phone on my phone. So now we had two wife phones in our family. This was obviously a trial. And I want to talk to you today about trials. Now you know that there's way worse trials in life than just deleting your entire, well maybe you don't. Did you know that there's worse trials in life than deleting your entire phone contents? Did you know that? Okay, some of you didn't know that but I'm going to tell you today that there are worse trials. Now I had another technology trial and it happened just two days ago. It was with my iPad. I use this as as kind of my primary computer and I went down to my office and I was about to check on a very, very important keynote that I had produced. And so you know that recently it was also time to upgrade, update, is it update? Update my iPad. And so I had updated it a couple months ago and had not needed to use Keynote since then and so I sat down in my office ready for a productive day, opened up Keynote and it informed me there are no presentations. Well I argued a little bit you know there are presentations there's about eight or nine very important presentations here and again, it said, there are no presentations. And so I thought, surely this is a great opportunity to consult the cloud. The cloud knows all. The cloud stores all, <laughs> right? The cloud keeps record of all. And the cloud surely managed my backup duties for me. After consulting the cloud, it had bad news. It also had no presentations. Why? Because I had turned off the iCloud backup system to my iPad so that I could back up the entire contents of my phone. This was a trial. Thankfully, however, I will put you at ease and you will all sleep well tonight knowing that my iPhone had synced with my iPad miraculously and it had all nine presentations on it. After switching one switch, I'm not sure which one it was, by luck, chance, or anything else, my presentations were miraculously restored, and my life could go on as if I had never faced a trial. Man, technology. So you can tell that I'm using my uh, iPad here in a very high-tech way this morning as a clock telling me when I need to finish, all right? So you can tell that I'm not very adept at technology. But I do want to talk to you about the truth about trials. So as you're taking notes there, if you want to title your message, The Truth About Trials, I want to tell you the truth about trials. And there's a very particular reason that I want to talk about trials today. And that's because prior to chapel service this morning, you know that I came around and asked you, what trial are you facing today? Or which trial would you choose to be eliminated today if you could choose any trial? And here are your responses. You said this morning that your greatest trial today is school. All right, so we dug a little bit deeper, guys, right? Out of that came computer class. Grades are a trial for you today. Someone who's listened to my chapel message before said sin, the number one problem facing you today. Someone said laziness, attention span, homework load, annoying boys, Academics, health issues, family challenges, body image, forgiveness, sibling arguments, depression, relationships, it's freezing outside. (laughs) Let's dig deep here. Sleep deprivation, self-control, patience, sharing in others' trials, broken homes, concern for the salvation of family members, family health issues, and a recent death in a family. Now these are real life trials. Most all of these trials far surpass the trial I faced with my technology. And so I'm well aware of the real trials that you're facing in this room today. And I have no doubt that there are many more, that there are many duplicates here, and that you as students with as many in this room are facing extraordinary trials today, as am I. Trials are a normal part of life, and I want to challenge you this morning to think, though, about trials in your life a little bit differently. So let's look at our text for today. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking in chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want us to consider one primary question this morning, and it is this. It's borrowed from a book written by Paul Tripp and he asked in this book, where do you feel like you are beyond your ability to endure today? Today, is there a trial that you are facing where you feel like you are beyond your ability to endure, to persevere through that trial? Perhaps you can think of one now and use that trial as I teach you this message to think about how can I possibly endure this trial? It's overwhelming. It's serious. It's having an effect on me or others around me. And I want you to think about that trial, and I want to try to change your perspective on that trial to a biblical perspective. Where do you feel like you are beyond your ability to endure? So let's read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And it's going to be a significant portion of text, and then we're going to talk about a shorter portion. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a repetitious word here that you start to notice clearly. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Verses 3 through 11. So I want to talk about trials in several ways this morning. And first thing I want to teach you this morning is is that trials are inevitable. They are innumerable. (coughs) and they are necessary. See, as humans, we naturally want to be out of trials. But if we just think of trials as negative things in our lives, things to get out of, then we don't fully understand what trials are. You see, trials are circumstances that God allows in our life in order to change us. They can be positive and still be a trial. What if you just got a big scholarship to a university? That's a trial. You have to choose how you're going to use that scholarship. The trial contained within that scholarship award could be pride. It could also be humility. You see, every circumstance in our life brings about a response from us. And trials do that quite well. They reveal the condition of our heart, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But these trials that we face, they're inevitable. We will face them. No one is immune. I pushed on some of you this morning for a harder answer. You had a hard time coming up with a trial. And so I said, oh, so you have a perfect life. Of course, that's not true. We all face trials. James 1, 2 refers to this when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. They are inevitable. You cannot escape trials. You will have them. We know also, though, that trials are innumerable. They're countless. They will come in seasons of life, and often there will be many. My guess is that if I sat down with each one of you, you could come up with a list of many trials this morning. Verse 5 suggests that trials are innumerable. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. How many? Abundant trials. That's not just one per day. There's not a quota. God doesn't just say, well, I'm going to give you two trials today. There are many, there are many trials. Winning the lottery could be a trial. How are you going to use those funds? What pressures now will you face having this financial so-called success? That is a trial, it's inevitable, and there are many of them, they're abundant. But trials, I would argue from the Bible, are also necessary. I would argue that God brings trials into your life for your good and ultimately for His glory. Now, I think right there we have a challenge to disbelieve something about God. The culture wants to paint God as loving and only interested in our good. But the way that we define good is too limited. You see, God knows what is good for us beyond what we know that is good. See, we define good as comfortable, abundance, a life free from worry, easy tests, always multiple choice, or at least open book, right? Wouldn't that make life so much easier? Wouldn't that remove a huge trial that you listed here in school if all tests were just open book? Boy, I love those open book tests. And there's the answer right there. It's even in bold. That would remove a trial. But then there would be another one. I want to share with you a quote from Charles Spurgeon who recognized the necessity of trials. And he put the necessity of trials in the context of God. So think about it that way. He said, look upward dost thou see thy heavenly father do you see him a pure and holy being spotless just and perfect that's who God is he's defining him here dost thou know that thou art one day to be like him thinkest thou that thou will easily come to be conformed to his image wilt thou not require much furnace work isn't there a lot of burning that needs to happen with us Much grinding in the mill of trouble, much breaking in the pestle in the mortar of affliction, much being broken under the wheels of agony. Thinkest thou it will be an easy thing for thy heart to become as pure as God is? Dost thou think thou canst so soon get rid of thy corruptions and become perfect, even as thy Father which is in heaven is perfect? You see, should holiness be simple to obtain? Or maybe the question is, is holiness easy to obtain? Does scripture paint a picture that once you become a true believer, that the Christian life is a life of simplicity, ease, and comfort? Or does the scripture actually paint a picture of men and women who face trials of many kinds, extraordinary persecution, pain and loss and suffering, why? For their good and God's glory. So trials are inevitable. We will always have them. They're innumerable. We'll have a lot of them, and they're necessary for our good. It's a promise from God that we will have them. All right. Trials always produce a response. We always respond when we face a trial. Even when you think you're not responding to a trial, you are. We are misled if we think that only the positive things in our life, such as preaching or teaching or Bible studies or personal devotions, affect our beliefs and actions. We interpret the largest and smallest trials and act according to our true beliefs, not just the beliefs that we claim to believe. See, a lot of people claim to believe in the sovereignty of God, but they don't believe in the sovereignty of God. A lot of people believe that God is personal and he's watching over you, orchestrating the things in your life. They claim that, but you don't believe that. What is weak in that case? Faith. So let's not just think that we can just avoid trials, because even in avoiding them, we're bringing another trial upon ourselves. Paul said in verses 8 and 9, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is a response to a trial. He wondered if they would even live under this persecution or sickness or aggression from these people. It's not exactly known what's being talked about there, but extraordinary persecution, for he even believed that he received the sentence of death. You see, the trial is bringing out a response, and they always do. Our response to trials always reveal the condition of our hearts. The way that we react to a particular trial reveals what is already in our heart. I want to share with you a couple of quotes again from Paul Tripp. He says, if we respond sinfully to trials, he sends, it is not because we have been forced to sin. Oh, well, that test made me do things I wouldn't normally do, like cheat. That test was so hard, I had to cheat in order to pass. I am now blaming my action on the test itself. That teacher just made that test too hard, and I have to pass this class in order to get a scholarship or graduate. So. The only way that I can respond is to cheat. It's justified. That is not true. That sin was already there. It was just lying latent. Tripp goes on to say trials do not cause us to be what we have not been, rather, they reveal what we have been all along. The harvest the trial produces is the result of the roots already in our heart. I want to say that again. The harvest or the outcome that the trial produces. Is the result of the roots that are already in our hearts there's nothing additional being added into you when you respond that way to a trial it's already there it just it comes out for out of the abundance the heart speaks it comes it comes out of our mouth the things that we believe they they come out of our mouth and our responses to trials always reveal these things all right so are you you hoping with me now that we're going to turn a corner because these trials that I read that you shared with me this morning are so very real. And we need to have hope. But I don't believe that we can find hope until we really understand the condition of our hearts. So I want to share with you again another Spurgeon quote. And, and, and I want you to hang with me. That, that language, that old language is, is challenging. But I want you to listen carefully. Because Spurgeon says about our hearts, he says, But then look within thee. There is a little world in here, he says which is quite enough to give us trouble. He's talking about our hearts. He says a Roman once said he wished he had a window to his heart that all people might see what was going on there. How about you? Do you wish that there was a little window to your heart that all could see what's going on in there? I, I think I would struggle with that a little bit. People knowing everything that's going on in my heart. He says most of us would have great need of shutters if we had such a window. I know that I would desire shutters. To hide what's in there. However, he says, for one moment, peep into the window of thine heart. Look in there. Let's look in there right now with Spurgeon. Let's look into your heart right now and see what's in there. To observe what is there, he says, sin is there, original sin and corruption. And what is more, self is still within. Ah, he says, if thou hadst no devil to tempt thee, thou wouldst tempt thyself. If there were no enemies to fight thee, "'Thyself would be thy worst foe. "'If there were no world, still thyself would be bad enough, "'for the heart is deceitful above all things "'and desperately wicked. "'Look within thee, believer. "'Know that thou bearest a cancer in thy very vitals, "'that thou carriest within thee a bombshell "'ready to burst at the slightest spark of temptation. "'Know that thou hast inside thy heart an evil thing, "'a coiled-up viper, ready to sting thee "'and bring thee into trouble and pain and misery.' unutterable take heed of your heart Christian and when thou findest sorrow trouble and care look within and say verily I may well receive this considering the evil heart of unbelief which I carry about with me those trials you listed this morning this is where they lie now dost thou see brother Christian no hope of escape trouble is there what shall we do then what should we do There is no chance for us. We must bear suffering and affliction. Therefore, let us endure it cheerfully. That's perhaps a hard thing for some of you to believe this morning, especially some of these trials that you listed. Can you bear those cheerfully? If you can, you understand something about God that I clearly struggle with. Some of us are the officers in God's regiments, and we are the mark of all the riflemen of the enemy. Standing forward, we have to bear all the shots. What a mercy it is that not one of God's officers ever fall in battle. Listen to the hope here now. God always keeps them. When the arrows fly fast, the shield of faith catches them all. And when the enemy is most angry, God is most pleased. So, for aught we care, the world may go on, the devil may revile, flesh may rise. For we are more than conquerors through him that hath loved us. Therefore, all honor be unto God alone. If you're looking to a different source to help you out of a trial besides God himself, you will find nothing. So what hope do we have in the midst of these trials? I want to tell you three very quickly. What is hope? The ESV study Bible that I use defines hope this way. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. But it's an absolute confidence in God's promises for the future based on his faithfulness in the past. You see, God has proven through scripture over time to be faithful, unchangeable, infinite and eternal in his plans and purposes for his kingdom here on earth. That is who God is. And our hope is based on that as an expression of faith. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking, but an absolute confidence in God's promises for the future based on his faithfulness in the past. God is who he says he is, and he has proven it over and over. Well, how had this Corinthian audience seen his faithfulness in the past? Well, look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead dead. They had seen God perform a miracle beyond all miracles in raising those who had already gone on to death back to absolute life. That should give us great, great hope that this is the God who is watching over us today, that as true believers, this is the God whom we've put our faith in, that he is granted to us as a gift. And so the question is to you today, then, could it be then that God... Brings us into trials in order to bring about certain results. Could it be that God takes away something of great value from you to expose your idols and cause us to cling to his worth? Could it be that God gives us something of great value to display his generosity and personal kindness? Could it be that God allows us to experience financial trouble or even ruin? Why? To turn our hearts and wallets towards his economy and provision? Could it be that God does that? Or could it be that God gives us extraordinary riches to teach us stewardship and the blessing of giving? Could it be that God would allow you to someday be married? Why would he do that? To provide a living example to the world of his design and a lens through which we understand Christ's relationship to the church? Could it be that God would call you to remain single? Why? To keep you enamored with Christ as your husband and to allow you to serve faithfully and efficiently all your days. You see, these are all real trials. Could it be that God allows you a test in school, in a subject you don't like, that you find yourself unskilled in, in order to expose you to a trial that reveals the condition of your heart, the condition of your faith? I believe that he would do so. Could it be that God would grant you success on a test in order to achieve academic success, in order to earn a scholarship, to go to college? I believe that God would be interested in that trial as well. (laughs) These are all very real things. In all these situations, God is present and in full orchestration of his purposes. He is teaching us, humbling us, and disciplining us. Look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. There's great hope there. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What is Paul clinging to here? God's faithfulness over time. It's proven. Do you believe in it? The second point of hope that we receive from this text is that God's word describes the world we live in every day. You see, this Bible text is not some isolated set of stories that you learn for knowledge's sake in order to take a test on and perhaps consult from time to time when you feel like you're under pressure and you don't know what to do. Paul Tripp says that the Bible is not about an idyllic world full of noble people who always make the right choices. Would you agree with that? that the Bible does not contain stories about people who always make the right choices. The Bible describes a world that we recognize where very good and very bad things happen and where people make wonderful and horrible choices. The Bible describes a world that sometimes makes us laugh but often makes us cry. It's the world that we live in and His Word is provided for us in order to learn it and learn from people who have gone through these situations. So in the midst of a trial, God provides his word. And we can study countless stories of people facing persecution and famine and war and loss and death and abuse. And we also see stories of abundance, promotion, provision, peace, gain, life, relationship, and love. What a miracle God's word is. It should bring us great hope. The third hope I believe that we have like Paul, is that our trials are not only for ourselves, they are for others as well. In trials, we are being prepared to help others endure the same pains, sufferings, and temptations. Some of these trials that you listed for me this morning, who would you be first to go to to share that trial with and ask for help? A friend who is going through the same thing. Perhaps someone older than you and wiser than you who can help you through that trial. What is this? It's community. You see, represented here even amongst this student body is a community. Add your teachers in, your community has broadened. Add your parents in, and your community has gotten even broader. Add a Bible-believing church, you now have an extraordinary community, well beyond many people in this world. Where do we see community from this text? Verses 6 and 7. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. You see, Paul welcomed persecution and trial in order that others may succeed, in order that he may serve others. Verse 11, we see community. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see, he understands that he needs others for this journey of life. Do you? Do you need others in your journey of life just like Paul admits that he does? Perhaps today the greatest trial you brought is loneliness. There is an answer for that, there is a community around you, and it requires your participation in it. You see, we do have to act here. God is not teaching us through this scripture that we just sit here and receive these trials passively. He asks us to participate in the gift of faith that he gives us. As a matter of fact, the gift of faith that he gives you allows you to participate in it. And if you are truly saved, if you are truly a believer today, you should long for these things of hope. You should long to study God's word. You should long for community. Today, if you woke up believing the lie that you have to face these trials alone and by yourself, that is a lie from the enemy, and you should not believe that. I think that there's a lot of loneliness represented here this morning. That is a lie from the enemy. There are people here who will invest in you, who care about you. I think some of you are really struggling with that statement right there. And I just I want to tell you this morning that I understand that struggle is very real. Loneliness is, is an extraordinary thing as a student. I know this because I had it. I brought it on myself when I was in high school because I basically abandoned all good relationships and thought that I could do life on my own. You know my testimony, and I won't go into it today. But I really feel like this morning, if you've come here this morning with loneliness and believing that you have to go through trials on your own, you need to know today that there is a fourth hope Where do you feel like you are beyond your ability to endure? Perhaps it's in loneliness like I'm talking about now or something else. But that fourth hope is Christ. Him alone, but it's in a true relationship with Him, not just something that you claim. You see, when we claim Christ's lordship over our life, we are subscribing to this life of trial. We will be persecuted. We will face many circumstances, but we will never lose hope of what Christ has done for us on the cross. You see, he died for your sins, past, present, and future. There's great hope in that. What did that death accomplish? You know, it's the gospel message. It accomplished two things. It proved God's love for you in providing a sacrifice and a substitute for your sin. It proves God's love. But there's something else that Christ's death accomplished. It restored you back to God's favor. You see, God is still just, and Christ's death restored you back to his favor It's a word called propitiation. And we needed that because we have a record of sin, a history of sin that needed to be taken care of as well. And that should give us great hope today. Students, if you're facing trials, which I know that you are, I read them to you, I pray that today, at some point in time, you would take a step of faith and let that trial be known to someone who you love and trust. Perhaps it's a staff member. Perhaps it's a friend. Perhaps you need to make a call. You can even go on to jeffandhannon.com or my Facebook site, and we will help you find a mentor if that's what you're in need of. I wanna be very practical about this as I close. I understand that you're facing trials of many kinds. I want you to count it all joy, and a relationship with Christ will allow you to do that. So would you agree with me today to take a step of faith? And that thing that's, that you chose at the beginning of this session that's mulling around in your heart, that trial that you wish you could get rid of or overcome, I want you to take action on that trial today, would you? Let me pray for you. Dear God, we thank you for this message from Paul to the Corinthian church, a church that was rebelling against him and even questioning his apostleship because of all the trials that he was enduring and yet he used those trials to prove who you were and your presence in his life and your abundant power and sovereignty. God, let us not hear this message of trial and fall further into depression or fall further into loneliness or believe a lie that we must continue on this battle alone. God, I pray that this message on trials would cause us to have great hope in the message of Christ who accomplished everything we could not on the cross. It was all sufficient. And I pray today that these students and staff would take action on that trial and reach out to a community of believers who are here, whom God has provided for them to reach out to, to love them and support them and walk through life together. Even Paul recognized the need for that in such a powerful way in asking this audience to pray for him. And I pray that we would take that same action. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thanks, you guys. You've been listening to a message by Jeff Randell with Hidden from View Ministries. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth in Focus. For my co host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Teeson. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.